William Wilberforce wrote a book entitled A Practical View of Christianity. And in it, he taught how we as Christians should live out our lives in the world. I, I think it's interesting that he wrote this because he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a Bible scholar. If you know anything about William Wilberforce, he was actually a politician. And someone who worked for social justice in his society. You may have seen him in the movie Amazing Grace that came out several years ago. A good movie, I I recommend it. But William Wilberforce, in the late 1700s and early 1800s, became a Christian. He heard the gospel and he believed in Jesus Christ. And it was amazing. And then one night he was thinking about his, I'm sorry, one morning was thinking about his conversion. And Chuck Colson, in the preface to his book, writes about this event. He said that Wilberforce sat at his desk that foggy Sunday morning in 1787 thinking, had God saved him only to rescue his own soul from hell? He could not accept that. If Christianity was true and meaningful, it must not only save, but serve. He said it's not enough that the gospel saves us from the fires of hell that forgives us of sin. That's good. That's so important. We've talked about it so much in Galatians. But it's not enough to be saved from. We must also be saved for something. That's going to be our message today. And I'm just going to jump out right at the beginning with our big idea. It's that in the gospel, we are both set free from and set free for. It's both of these things. We are set free from a lot. And that's going to be really our first section of the message, what we're set free from. But we're also set free for something. From and for. Both of them at the same time. So that's our big idea. Let's read this in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is our third week now talking about freedom. This section really within the the greater book of Galatians that we've been going through. Two weeks ago we saw that we are set free from sin and the law. And the only way to true freedom in this world is through the gospel. It's the only way, set free from sin and from the law. And then last week we learned that that freedom is so important and so good that people want to take it away. Even our hearts sometimes want to take it away and we we fall back into legalism. So that's why we learn to stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. But today we're going to learn that we're not just set free from this stuff, from sin, from the law, and from the flesh that we'll see today, but we are also set free for something. And we saw that in verses 13 to 15. It said we are set free to serve one another, to love one another one another. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, in last week's passage, we read, the only thing that really counts is faith that shows itself through what? Love. It's the only thing that counts. And here he says the entire law is summed up with this one command. Jesus said the same thing when one of the scribes came up to him and said, okay, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And he said, okay, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are summed up in those commands. Everything is fulfilled if we love God and love other people. That is what we're set free for. To love, to serve. Now this is a paradox, isn't it? It's a paradox because if we're set free, then 
now we become a servant to others? How does that work? Martin Luther talked about it. He said, a Christian is a perfect, free, perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We're set free to be a servant to others, to serve others, to love them. It's a paradox, really. A few weeks ago, when I first introduced this topic of freedom, I used a couple illustrations. The first was about a fish. I remember coming home as a teenager, and I had this big, great big aquarium that I had bought, and, and I found one of my fish lying dead and dry, its carcass on the ground. This fish had decided, in order to be free, it needed to fly. But a fish is not free out of water, is it? For a fish to find true freedom, where it can swim and enjoy the depths of the water, it has to be in the water. And then the second illustration I used was about a train. When we lived in Nebraska, we had a train every six minutes coming through town. And these trains pulled mile-long trains, right? These engines, and they had coal in them, they had steel, they had great big aircraft um, pieces. And they were able to carry so much weight. And yet, if you took that train and moved it just a foot to the north, what happens? Nothing. It's dead. It can't go anywhere. It doesn't matter how powerful it is. A train, in order to be free, has to be on the tracks. Now, for a Christian, we learn, if we want to experience true purpose, freedom, meaning in our life, it is by loving and serving other people. If you want to experience the, the best life you can, it is not about you. It's about serving and loving others. That's how you can feel the, com- the completement, the fulfillment that we are all longing for in this life. It's not about us. It's about serving and loving others. I mentioned William Wilberforce at the beginning of this message. He was someone who really learned this as a politician, that he needed to serve and love others through his job. Now, you might think that sounds uh, contradictory as a politician, but he said, yes, it's not about me, me gaining power. It's not even about my select friends that I want to help out. No, no, no. It's about loving the entire nation and serving them in, in Britain where he was. But in our jobs, it's the same thing. Wherever you work, God is calling you to love and serve other people through your job. This is what we do for the majority of our time, right? This is the majority of our time we spend working, most of us. For the 40 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours that you work in this coming week, you can love and serve people through your job. Whether you're a politician or or, or a doctor, your job is to serve and cure people. Maybe you're a baker. Okay, you're going to make a product that's really good to serve people. You're not going to make them something cheap. So whatever service or product it is that, that you serve other people with, that's how you love your neighbor. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're a truck driver. How are you going to do your job with excellence to serve the business you're working for, serve the people that you're bringing food to or whatever you are to serve them? Whatever you do can be done for love of others. But this goes beyond the realm of our work. This is how we interact with people in our families, in our relationships, in the church, in society at large. When we um, interact with other people at the grocery store, are we loving them? Are we serving them? Or are we thinking more about ourselves and our schedule? But we are set free to love. We're f- set free for something, and it's about love and service. Now, you may be wondering if some of you who remember theologically, we've talked about how we're saved. How are you saved? What did we learn? You're saved by what? Grace through 
faith. It's by God's grace. He says, I love you and I've chosen you and I want to save you by what my, my son did on the cross. All you have to do is have faith and trust in him. You're saved. Uh, but then here it says, no, you've got to love others. Well, which one is it? Well, they actually work together because when we have faith in God, it changes us to want to love others. That's not how we're saved, but when we are saved, we will love. Jesus' brother James talked about it in chapter 2 of his letter. He said, faith by itself, if it does not prove itself with actions, is dead. John Calvin, the theologian, the reformer, he said, it is therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. If we trust Jesus, we're going to do the things Jesus did. If we have faith in him, we're going to love the people he told us to love. So it's going to be this natural outpouring of our faith into our life. So my question for you is, what are you saved for? Each of us individually is saved for a purpose. Your workplace, in your family, in your career field, in in your area that you live, at your gym. Maybe you're saved for a reason. And I want us to think about it and pray about that today because we are saved for something. So I said there's going to be two parts to this message. We already got the big idea, and now we're going to see these two things, that what we're saved from and what we're saved for, because this leads us into how we are supposed to live our lives in the freedom of the Spirit, in the freedom of the Gospel. So the first thing is that we are set free from the flesh. We are set free from the flesh. Let's see this in verses 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. We've seen this already in Galatians, but this is an important concept for us to understand. We as human beings have this thing called the flesh. This isn't necessarily our physical body. But it's a term that was used in the Bible, especially by Paul, to represent us as human beings apart from God. Whoever we are, our body and our soul, as people, when we disobey God, don't do what he said. In our flesh, when we were born, we cannot do anything to please God. And once you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you have these two natures that are inside of you, the flesh and the spirit. We still have the flesh until we die. And these things are at war within us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about it starting in verse 5. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, these two things are at war. You can choose flesh or spirit every day of your life, every minute of your life. Because as Christians, we have both of them. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And maybe today is the day that you can pray to accept the Holy Spirit to come help you. But we still have this flesh in our life. We still are led into sin. And we know this. Because even as Christians, we're saying, I repent of my sin, I'm going to live for God. And then you hear this voice in you that says, you can go do that thing. Everybody does it. Nobody will know about it. Nobody will find out. 
It's just this one time. Right? That's what the flesh pulls us into the sin. And, and then we have the Holy Spirit too, for those of us who are Christians, and you feel this conviction in your heart. Don't do that thing. Once we do it, you need to repent and you need to turn back to God and, and avoid that sin. What are you doing? The Holy Spirit also leads us to do good things. Sometimes you feel this longing, this pulling in your heart. I need to go talk to that person. I need to go give them a hug because they look like they really need some encouragement. We're, we're led by the Holy Spirit to do things. And we have these two natures at war within us, right? Martin Luther created this theological term, simul justice et peccator. And that's going to be on the quiz later. But that's Latin, no, I'm kidding, that's Latin for at the same time sinner and justified. That's what we are as Christians. At the same time, we're still a sinner. We still have the flesh. But yet we are also justified. So that's why we need to be set free from the flesh over and over and over again. That's what we're set free from. Now we know this on a smaller scale in our natural life. We notice that we have these two natures at war within us, right? When you first get married. You see, when you're single, you can be a little flirty, right? You can be a little flirty with people of the opposite sex, and you know you can make eyes at them and talk with them, get their number, and it's just fun, right? But once you get married, you're not supposed to do that, okay? And sometimes it's a little hard because you're still in the habit of flirting with people, and and we want to be faithful to our spouses, so we got to learn to overcome that, right? And put that behind, even though you still for a while have those warring nature within you. Okay, this is just in the natural world. We also notice this when, when you graduate from high school or college or whatever, and then you get your first job. You still want to kind of have fun and have your summers. But then all of a sudden you work this job and you realize, uh-oh, I only get two weeks off a year. I've got to work 40 hours a week. School all of a sudden sounds great. Unless you teachers, you guys got it made. I'm kidding, I know. I know it's a tough job as teachers, but they're still giving thumbs up. But it's like, okay, I, I want to work and I want to make money, but I also want to have my summers. And you've got these two things fighting against you, right? So this is the natural world. In the spiritual world, it's even more so. We have our sinful flesh that wants to sin. Say, hey, uh, that looks pretty good. But we also have the spirit saying, don't do it. Do this instead. And those things are at war within us. And we have to choose what we're going to do. We have to choose to be set free from the flesh daily. Let's keep reading in verse 19 through 21. Paul gives us a list of some of the things the flesh leads us to do. He said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty stern warning, isn't it? He said, if you're living according to the flesh, giving into these acts of the flesh, it will lead you to not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scary word. But this warning, of course, we need to remember, it's for people who live in that flesh. If we are saved by grace through faith, we will not choose to live in the flesh any longer. And that's why this warning is so important for us, to remind us we shouldn't choose that way. So I'm going to go through this list and give you a little more explanation for these things. And I want you to think, as I read this list, what is one of these things that I struggle with? We all have the flesh. I do too. While we're in this life. So I want you to think about that one thing. 
that you struggle with out of this list, the one that you're really struggling with. And at the end, it does say, and the like. So it's not like a cumulative, all-encompassing list. There might be other sins that you could add on the end. It's okay, but I want you to think of the one that you want to overcome. Sexual immorality. In the Greek, that's porneia, from which we get the word pornography. It really refers to any sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman. So this is a very all-encompassing term. Impurity and debauchery. These are terms for, for general sin, really anything that leads to an excess. Idolatry. This is making a god out of something that isn't a god. It could be sex. could be money. It could be the universe. You're relying on this force of nature to guide you. Witchcraft. You might think that's strange, but I've talked with people who really struggle with this because they've just lost a loved one. Someone they loved has died and they want to talk to them. That's a sin. To sin to do a seance or palm reading or tarot cards. To read the stars because we're trusting something other than God for our future. Those are sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy. These are things that cause dissension and, and these things break us apart. Christians are not supposed to be known as hate-filled bigots, Islamophobic, homophobic, transphobic. We're not. We're supposed to be known for love and not hate. Fits of rage. Have you ever found yourself flying off the handle, unable to control your anger? Maybe it's in traffic, on the golf course. Maybe it's in your marriage or with your kids, or kids with your parents. Okay, fits of rage, giving in to that, and, and you're losing control of yourself. That's a sin. Selfish ambition, doing everything for yourself. Dissensions and factions, when we're causing division between people. Maybe you're engaging in some gossip at work that's really driving people away from the boss. Start to hate the boss. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in the church. That's a sin to cause dissensions. Verse 21, envy. When we're not looking out for the best of other people, but really wanting what's theirs and wanting them to get something bad. Have you ever felt that way about someone? Oh, I can't wait till they get theirs. It's sin. Drunkenness. It is a sin to get drunk. We are commanded to be sober-minded. We're not legalistic. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. In fact, Jesus turned water into wine. It's the first miracle. But we are supposed to stay sober-minded in that. Orgies. This is a strange one. But today, those who are struggling with pornography look at multiple people sexual acts and they download it on their hard drives and have it on their phones all these things lead to sin and it says and the like because this list could go on couldn't it the point is that the flesh is contrary to what god wants for us it's not the best thing for our life and we need to not live according to the flesh we need to be free from that to fight it and to kill it so what is your one thing on that list or, or something you want to add on the end and the like what's your one thing that you're saying, I need to work on that. I need to overcome that. We all got something, right? We all do. Let's overcome it in the freedom of the Spirit. So, we've looked at this, this warning now to be set free from the Spirit, or f- f- set free from the flesh, but we're also, the second part, is that we're set free for walking in the Spirit. Set free from the flesh, but set free for Walking in the Spirit. So we're set free from something, set free for something. Walking in the Spirit is the next thing. Verses 22 through 23, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. 
This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we walk, when we live, when we're being led by the Spirit, God is going to produce fruit in our lives. Now, when Melissa and I were in Nebraska, we had a, a quite a bit bigger garden. But now that we have our little home here and there's a little cement pad that's our backyard, you guys know what I'm talking about, I have, we have one plant. <laughs> well, we have some basil, but we have one plant that bears fruit. We got a tomato plant. And the hail did its best, but it's still alive. Still alive. And we've been watering it every day. And we're taking care of it, making sure it gets enough sunlight and, and water. And, and what's going to happen in a few months? It's going to produce what? Fruit. A plant naturally produces fruit. In the same way, if we walk in the Spirit and live with the Holy Spirit in our lives, instead of just the flesh, we will naturally produce fruit. That's what happens. The fruit of the Spirit is not um, just you know, something that we create, though we have a part, as I'll talk about in a second, in that. But the Holy Spirit needs to work in us. That's why we come to worship every week. That's why we should be in our Bibles every day so that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in our hearts. And as that happens, we'll bear this fruit in our lives. And these fruit that we just talked about, these are like different character traits, how we're supposed to be as believers. Those things will develop in us. John fifteen five, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So you cannot create these things in your life, this fruit, without the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit is in you, you do begin to bear this fruit and to change as a person. So there's a passive nature to this fruit bearing, right? Just like the plant. You just water it, sunlight, and all of a sudden, fruit comes. But... We are also commanded in this passage, back in verse 18, it says, if you are led by the Spirit. And then later we're going to see in verse um, 25, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. This is a command. So there's a part we play in bearing fruit. Passively, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to create this fruit. But actively, we must do something in order to bear the fruit. It's both and. So I'm going to read through this list, and I want you to think of the one fruit that you want to work on. I just want you to think through this list and say, what's the one thing that I really need more of in my life? Love. Are you a person that is just kind of hate-filled? You just don't really like other people. Is love something you need to work on? Joy. Are you a person that's kind of cynical, maybe depressed, not happy about things that are going on? We want the joy, the true happiness that isn't dependent on the circumstances in our life. Peace. Maybe you're a person that maybe internally is always stressed and anxious, or you're always having conflict with other people, and you just need some peace in your life. Forbearance. Now, if you've seen an older translation, a lot of times it says patience. But forbearance, I think, is a better term because it talks about patience really in relation to other people. God has this forbearance with us because he says, I know it's going to take a while but I'm going to save you anyways and I'm going to keep working in your heart even though it's going to take decades. Do we show that same forbearance to others? Do we show that forbearance to others? Parents, your kids, do you say, I know it's going to take a few years to learn this, but I'm going to keep loving them and training them and disciplining them? Kids, do you have this towards your parents when you're like, man, they'll never get it? Christians, do we have this for other Christians or do we say, come on, get your act together. You're still in that sin. You've been there for years. Or do we show them forbearance? Do we say, hey, it's probably going to take a while for them to develop wisdom. 
and grow and overcome their sin? Do we have the forbearance towards one another? Kindness. Are we people that are showing kindness to others? Or are we uh, the kind of people that treat people without the dignity or respect that they deserve? Goodness. Uh, Do we have a heart that's just pure and doesn't have bad motives and doesn't seek after things that are evil? Or are we good? Faithfulness. Are we committed to God? Are we committed to his church? Are we committed to our spouses and our families? Or is faithfulness something that we need to grow? What about gentleness? Gentleness. Maybe you're someone who really struggles with being harsh or rude with others. You're like, well, I just say it like I see it. It's like, no, well, maybe you need to develop this fruit of gentleness. To say things with kindness to other people. Self-control. This was a big part of Bill's message a few weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit develops self-control in our lives so that we don't just give in to every desire, so that we develop a schedule, so that we can have this uh, self-control in our actions. But as I read through that list, maybe there's one that's sticking out to you. I also want you to think not of them just as character traits, because that's what they become, but I want you to think of them as habits. Bill Hole was my professor when I was out in California a few weeks ago. And he wrote, We typically think of this fruit as character qualities or aspects of our personality. Yet I want to suggest that before joy or gentleness is a characteristic of our personality, it is a habit formed by spiritual exercise. The fruit of the Spirit is habits. And these habits, given enough time and perseverance, will form character and impact conduct. We have to choose again and again to develop these habits of the Spirit. So here's a few ways that I came up with. This isn't an exhaustive list, but here's some ideas. If you picked one of those things, how am I going to develop that fruit in my life? First thing, read a book on that topic. Find a book on joy. Or read a biography about someone who really displayed that in their life. Someone who was a really gentle person. Find a biography of a great Christian and read it. Learn from them. You can also do that with living people. If you know someone in your life and you're saying, wow, that person is so such a good person. They have such a good heart. Spend some time with them. Ask them questions. How do you develop that? What, what, what things do you do so that you can make sure that you're a person of goodness? Ask them questions. The next thing, this is where you should start. Pray to, for God to help you with it. Say, God, I, I'm not very patient. I don't have forbearance with others. Say, God, would you help develop this and grow this in me? Maybe you need to find some verses on this topic. You know, there's this great thing called Google. And if you just type in one of these fruit and say, verses on blank, verses on kindness, it will give you a great list. Start memorizing them. Maybe you can ask a close friend to hold you accountable. Okay, so that when you're saying, hey, I really need to work on faithfulness. I don't feel like I'm really being faithful to whatever. Tell your friend this. And then whenever you're going astray, they'll give you an elbow in the rib. It's a great way for accountability to happen, right? Or they'll say, hey, they'll encourage you. They'll pray for you. They'll say, what are you doing? Friends help us stay accountable with these fruit. Or maybe you need to develop an exercise in your life to develop this habit. For example, if you want to work on forbearance and patience, drive in the slow lane. Purposely drive in the slow lane. See how it goes. Or play golf if you're me. I don't have patience for that game. Maybe you need to go serve a meal to the homeless every other week at the crossing. 
We do that here every Monday, every other Monday night. And because and, you're saying, I don't have a heart of love for the poor and the homeless. But if you start to begin this practice of deliberately putting yourself in a position where you have to love them and serve them, you're going to develop this heart of love. It's going to become a habit. This is a difficult thing to do. It's going to take you years, decades, a lifetime to develop this fruit. But will you work on it? Will you work on it to grow it? So, as the application for this whole message, I hope that you've been thinking of your one act of the flesh and your one fruit of the Spirit. Because in verse 24, Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucifixion was how Jesus died. He was nailed to the cross. It was bloody. It was brutal. That is what we're supposed to do to our flesh daily. Minute by minute, we have to choose to put it to death. In Romans 8.13, it said, If by the Spirit you put to death your sinful actions, you will live. We have got to actively kill the sins of the flesh. I really think that sin often is like a game of whack-a-mole. Do you remember that game from the arcade? From Chuck E. Cheese? There's these things that keep popping up and you whack it on the head and then it goes down and then it pops back up somewhere else. And you're just, that's what sin is like in our life, isn't it? It comes back right when we think we got it. It comes back. We got to kill it over and over again. There's an old English term for this called mortification. And there's this great book by John Owen on it. And, and one of my favorite lines in the book, he says, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let's play whack-a-mole. Let's get that sin killed. Crucify it. So, I want you to take out your bulletin, take a note. What is the one act of the flesh that you will kill? Fill it in that. Fill that blank in. What's the one act that you say, I need to overcome? Maybe it was in that list. Maybe it was something else that the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of. Write it down. How are you going to kill that one act of the flesh? Not give in to that. Not let it put you into slavery again, but to live in freedom from it. And then in verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have to actively keep in step with the Holy Spirit and choose to walk with Him every day. So the next question is, what is the one fruit of the Spirit you will grow? Write it down. Okay, this is going to be the beginning of your accountability, okay? You can talk about it with your spouse. Parents, tell your kids that you're going to work on this. You know, I haven't been very patient with you, but I'm going to work on that. You know, your kids are going to respect you so much more for admitting they want something. And then they'll hold you accountable. <laughs> and it'll be good. So what is the one thing that you want to put to death? What is the one thing that you want to grow? A lot of times these go hand in hand, right? If you're struggling with hatred towards others, you just really don't like people, you can develop love as the fruit. See how those go hand in hand? A lot of times that happens. If, if you're struggling... Um, with sexual immorality, then, then on the other side is goodness and purity, the fruit that you need to develop. So what are these things that you need to attack and kill? What are the things that you need to grow? Just pick one right now. And it's about halfway through the year, so this is a good time to make a half-year resolution. So I want you to say that from now on until December, I'm going to work to kill this one act of the flesh and to develop and grow this one fruit of the Spirit. Take six months to work on it and focus on it, and then you're going to be perfect with it. No, that's not true. <laughs> but it will take you a lot farther than you would be if you weren't focusing on this one thing. So just pick one. Some, somebody after the first service says, I got a list of ten. 
That's good, but pick one to work on right now. Just one that you really want to focus on. And as we read through this, I, I, I can't be helped but be driven back to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. Because if, if you think about it, Jesus was a human being just like us. Human being, fully like us in every respect, we read in the scriptures. He had every temptation to sin. In fact, the devil himself took him and said, Hey, Jesus, you see everything. See the whole world? I'll give it to you. It will be yours. None of us could withstand the temptation of Satan. Let's be honest. But Jesus did. He said no to sin. No to the flesh. And and then at the end, when he could have walked away, he he wanted to not die. He said, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to die. But he still willingly submitted to the Spirit. And you see these fruit again and again in his life. Did you know that before Jesus ever performed a miracle, preached a sermon, or helped anyone, do you know what he did? He received the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove, and then he began to be able to minister to others. He did nothing before he had the Holy Spirit leading him. And then again and again, he was led by the Holy Spirit, and he displayed love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, unlike anyone else. So we've got to look to Jesus Because he then, being led by the Spirit, went to the cross to show the ultimate love for us. To die on the cross, to forgive us of our sin and our flesh. Lead us out of that and then give us the same Spirit that raised him from the dead so that we could live a faithful life for him. I started out my message by talking about William Wilberforce because he knew that he wasn't just saved from hell. Saved from sin, saved from the flesh. That's important. But he said, no, I'm saved for something too. And if you know anything about his life, he gave his entire life and career to leading to reform in Great Britain and particularly one thing, to get rid of the slave trade. And he was one of the first people to go to bat for this. And for years and decades, he spent working and building allies in the houses of parliament and talking to other people so that they could get rid of the slave trade. And it took forever, just like it did in our country, But at the end of his life, after almost 50 years, working as hard as he could to serve society, to love other people by getting rid of this awful thing that was the slave trade, three days before he died, they passed a bill outlawing the slave trade. He gave his life for something, because that's what he was saved for. And each of us individually are called and saved not only from the sin in the flesh, but we're also saved for something. It's for developing this fruit in our life and serving and loving others in a way that God has called us to do, that only we can do. So I'm going to have uh, Amanda and Alan are going to come up and they're going to lead us in one final song and they're going to be leading us in a song about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be praying again, asking the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to, to empower us, to lead us so we can walk in the Spirit. And I want you to think about that one act of the flesh that you're trying to kill. I want you to think about that one fruit of the Spirit you're trying to develop. And as we're praying through this, say, God, help me. Send your Spirit to help me with this one thing that I'm trying to defeat. This one thing I'm trying to grow. Let's pray. Father, um, we, we thank you for being such a good God for sending your son Jesus to display for us what it means to not give into the flesh, but to follow instead the Holy Spirit in freedom. I pray right now for the people who are still in bondage, for the person who says, I don't know if I am a Christian or I don't believe, would you just gnaw at their soul? Just bug them with the Holy Spirit until they're ready to accept that gift and live in the true freedom of the gospel. 
The freedom not only from sin and from hell, but also for loving and serving others. I pray for all of us as we think of this one act of the flesh we need to kill, this one fruit of the spirit we need to grow. Would you help us do that over the next six months so that we can make great strides in our life and in our relationship with you? And Lord, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd come right now, lead us and guide us. Amen.